Welcome to MLR Kickoff, episode 27, with your hosts, the traveling band of Dan Power and Pete Steinberg. Well, welcome to the show, folks. Episode 27, Dan Power with you, alongside my co-commentator, Pete Steinberg. Both of us on the road this week, and great to have you on the show yet again. And Pete, uh, on different sides of the country, but here we are doing the show, and travel tip time. You traveled further than me, so you get the tip this week. What do you got for us? Well, so my trip to the East Coast this week was a little last minute. My um, flight got booked just a few days before I had to take it. And when you take, when, when you book those flights late, it's hard to get good seats. Those good seats are already taken up. But you should check from the time you check in. Just keep checking every couple of hours and look for the people that have upgraded. Because the people that upgrade are often in, <clears throat> often in good seats. So I was in a middle seat. And I checked, and about four hours before my flight, some guy got upgraded, and um, I grabbed the best seat in economy, which is the first row of economy on the aisle, and I got it four hours before the flight because the guy that's there probably had status, and he was the guy that was upgraded. Genius. Or they're one of those parasites who pay to upgrade. Oh, especially when you're number one on the upgrade oh, list. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a special place in hell for those people. No, <laughs> no, no, no. I've just started, like, sometimes I've just started paying it myself. I'm like, um, I know, there's one seat. They're offering the upgrade for 200 bucks. I'm number one on the upgrade list. There's no way I'm being upgraded. It's a five-hour flight. I'm like, I just need to do it. Money well spent. Well, speaking of money well spent, if you are a fan of Major League Rugby, you uh, got your money's worth on the weekend. We had all sorts of different games over the spread of four on the weekend, we had a couple of we had a blowout. We had a couple of tight ones, and a couple of nail biters as well, Pete. And uh, let's start it off with the game that you called the CBS game of the week down there in San Antonio. It was uh, Rooney on the road against Austin Elite, also on the road, but home game for them. And the uh, resurgence of Austin Elite, the improvement continues. Yet that first win continues to elude them, my friend. Yeah, I mean, this is a game that I called. So first of all, love the San Antonio Stadium. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's just a beautiful facility. It it's, um, seats about 7,000 people, just everything that you need. I, people couldn't see the crowd because of the uh, – because, you know, there's actually places to put the cameras and it was on the, on the main stand. But, you know, there was um, a lot of youth rugby going on. Uh, I think Dallas San Antonio. There was a D1 game that happened afterwards. It was it was a pretty neat event, and kudos to Austin for putting that on, and kudos for them keeping it close. I mean, you know, New York gambled. They gambled in this. They you know um, they had they have a bye week coming up. Um, I'd spoken to um, Mike Tolkien two weeks ago uh, um, when they had their home game, and he was like, "Well, we were you know we're we think we've got some players that are really beaten up and, and you know, we're going to look to rest some players. So in particular, Walsh and Harry Bennett. And you could see that they didn't have the rhythm that their normal lineup has, the um, uh, Deacon, Petri, and Marsh lineup. And it really affected their, their ability to play. And, and Austin took advantage of it. And they've had some... Uh, um, uh, like great additions. I mean, you know, it was great. I, I caught up with um, uh, Mohammed Abdel Abdel Monum, Mohammed Abdel Monum, 
Got it. And um, great guy. Uh, you know, he had, I think, 14 tackles in this game. Didn't have the turnovers that he's had, but really was an impact. And I have to tell you, Rodrigo Silva as the number 10 for Austin Elite, this guy is an exciting player. He's not normally a 10. Um, he plays, uh, um, you know, nine. He's played, I think, nine and 15 for Uruguay. But he had a great game. And, you know, a big turning point in that game was um, an obstruction penalty in the first half where Silva makes a break. You know, it's one of those ones when you look back and you say, yeah, I mean, you could have called it, but you could have also not called it. And 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 that could have been the, the turning point of the game. Um, you know, it, it, was, it wasn't a great game. There was, you know, almost 20... Um, there was almost uh, 20 knock-ons, um, lots and lots of penalties, um, 27 penalties. It uh, was not a great game of rugby, but it was exciting. It was 12-11 um, with 10 minutes to go. And, you know, Austin held on, were able to get, make a loss, you know, um, a break from their own half, scored a great try in the corner, uh, but then... You know, Rooney showed their class. They came back and I think probably showed their bench. And that's how they were able to pull away. Yeah, young uh, Rhys Sarnecki out in the wing there. He's been in and out of the side throughout the year, Pete. I think he uh, gets his shot when there's some injuries or some form issues. But definitely put his hand up. Exciting young player. I saw him on the college scene a few years ago as well. So definitely one to keep an eye on down there. And, you know, I did see some people kind of getting upset about the cameras not shooting back to the crowd and, when a stadium is built, it's hardwired to film games and it's hardwired to film games for a stadium that's full. You can't just change things around when a stadium's half full. So until we fill it, we're going to have to deal with it. So I know it's not a great look, but it is what it is. So stop complaining. All right. There, that's off my chest tonight. I'm good now, Pete. I'll calm down and just relax and talk rugby with you. Next game up was the Raptors in Nola Gold. And uh, I, have a, I have a sneaky confession to make, Pete. I broke one of the cardinal rules of going to a movie theatre. I had my cell phone on. I was watching this game while I was watching Captain Marvel. So uh, it was just that good a game. As You're such a good parent, Dan. I, was, I wasn't parent. with my kids. I wasn't with – I was with my, my biggest kid, Lou Stanfield, actually. I was out in Seattle preparing for that game, and Lou and I connected and said, let's go to the movies because he's got a young fellow at home as well. And, you know, we were away from the kids, so he uh, went and uh, – Watched Captain Marvel together and had a great time. We actually had the game on, trying to sneak that and not lose the plot line of Captain Marvel. But it wasn't until you guys started uh, our, our little text chain and you were like, you know, Nola's, Nola's coming back here because Glendale jumped out to a huge lead and they kind of had control there at home. They looked great against first place Nola. Then they came back and definitely not a game without some uh, controversy at the back end of this game, Pete. And, uh, finished very, very hectic finish, exciting finish uh, as uh, Glendale ended up getting the win there at the end with the penalty. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is where um, you see the great Glendale and you see the mediocre Glendale. So Glendale ran out 17 nothing, and they were just throwing it. I mean, Nola didn't touch the ball. They were making smart decisions. And then, you know, the Glendale that knocks the ball on, that tries to do a little bit too much, that gives up penalties. They start popping up and Nola come back and score a bunch of tries. And I think they take the lead back at half time. And then it's just, I mean, you know, it, 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 it was a really exciting game. I was um, on a plane, but was able to watch it. The Wi-Fi was good enough. And um, I landed, I think I missed the first 10 minutes of, of the second half, but was able to watch the rest. And I just thought it was just a, 
a phenomenal game. I thought um, Will McGee had one of the better games I've seen him play. I thought it was really exciting to see him play well. And it's also, you know, really interesting to see, um, you know, Dave Williams use his subs. I mean, he's, he's really smart about um, how he uses subs. He brought Luke White in at the half. He brought um, Atom Alifa, um, an Algeborian. I thought, I thought they, were, they were really impactful. And for Nola, you know, again, when they play their best, I mean, these are two teams that just aren't consistent, but Nola flirted again with having to come back and, um, you know, made a mistake right at the end that, that, that gave the game up. Yeah, almost, almost saved it too. Glendale got a penalty in kickable area and they took a quick tap and I was like, oh, that's, uh, that's oh, a good no, way to get yourself exiled. Yeah. It, it, was like, it was like no one was happier to see the referee call, call another penalty. But, you know, it's a, so one of the interesting things that, um, uh, you know, I talked to um, uh, Thierry Dolpin at, at Austin. So when Austin played Nola, Austin had the ball with three or four minutes to go in their own half. And if you remember, they kicked it away. And from that resulting possession, Nola scored. Well, here, Nola had the ball on the edge of their 22. So it's sort of like, and they lost the game. So you have one team that kicked it away and lost the game. And you have one team that held on to it and lost the game. When we know it doesn't really matter if you kick or you hold on to it, you just have to execute. So if you kick, you're going to have a great kick chase. You're going to have a great defense. And if you're not going to kick and you're going to hold on to it, you just have to execute. I mean, I think Nola have to be gutted because that game was in the palm of their hand. It's always hard to go to Glendale. But credit Glendale for when they had the opportunity and for, you know, saving Chad Goff, right? Saving his, uh, um, his skin by being able to pull that off. Yeah, credit to Glendale. Like we said last week, that was a pivotal game for their season and they did enough to get the win. And you want to talk about executing? Well, in our third game we're going to talk about, it was a Sunday night game. San Diego did just that. They executed their last three minutes. Uh, I'm not sure if you got to see this game. This is a game I called out there with Kevin Swearen. Uh, they held onto the ball and kept it away from Seattle and came up with the first win at Starfire since Glendale in round two. Last year, so it's been a long, long time since Seattle have tasted defeat at home. But San Diego, they went up there and got it done. Uh, interesting performance uh, from both sides. Seattle looked tired, actually. They looked like a team on low energy for probably 60 of the 80 minutes, Pete. I'm not sure how much of this game you've had a chance to watch yet, but uh, they, they looked like they needed a break. And considering they're coming off the bye, maybe a worrying sign for Richie Walker and his side up there. Yeah, I mean, I think it's always hard to um, make judgments when you're not there because one of the things you like to do on the bye is you actually like to work a little bit harder and maybe improve your fitness. Or maybe that that had a bit of an impact. But I felt like, um, you know, Seattle just, you know, Seattle are one of those teams where they have to be able to do the things that they do and they have to be able to do them well. And, you know, I, I, I feel like they... They weren't able to execute. And they, you know, I think the interesting thing about this, so let's, let's remember last year with San Diego, the big change is the scrum. And Paddy Ryan at tight end for San Diego has now made this scrum contest even. And as soon as that scrum t- contest has become even, it, it, it becomes much harder for Seattle to be able to play. So I think Richie Walker is still in, in, in you know, developing um, – 
you know, their style of attack. But, you know, Rob Hoadley last year, you can still see they're building on what they did last year. And the thing that held them back, you know, even in the semifinal um, against Seattle was the scrum. And now they've fixed that. And now it's a very, very even game. So, you know, big kudos to um, San Diego to be able to win this game, um, you know, for basically half the game um, on 14. So that's a, a, a big you know, a big boost for that team moving forward. Yeah, one one of the things that really stood out for me is the change in the Legion from last year is the scrum, Paddy Ryan, but stability at 10 with Joe Peterson. His tactical kicking before he, uh, he ended up taking a knock, trying to stop uh, big Brad Tucker there before he went off. Uh, his tactical kicking is just unbelievable. And, you know, for a young fly half like Ben Seema, you know, when you're early in your career, in particular, you're going to take some of those games where you come up against an experienced ten, and they're going to they're going to give you your licks. They're going to take you down and you know basically show you around. You know, a little bit of rookie hazing, for lack of a better term. And hopefully, Ben can go back and watch the film of how Joe controlled that game, the territory in particular, in the first half and up until he went off off his kicking. It was just sitting up there and watching. I really, really enjoyed watching Joe Peterson play. He has been a great acquisition. Really, San Diego, two of the best buys have been. I know Peterson was here for a game last year, Pete, but Paddy Ryan and him this year have just made that team look so much more complete. And as we, we'll dive into it a little bit more, but you look at that top six with the six teams with a realistic chance of going, two of them are going to have to drop out. And I just think San Diego are going to continue to get stronger and stronger, even if they are on the road coming down the stretch. So definitely a team to keep Well, remember... Up. Yeah, and remember Joe Peterson played fullback last year. So he's playing fly half um, this year. And I think, you know, if you look at the stats, um, uh, San Diego had 44% of possession, but 58% of the territory. And, you know, Rob Hoadley, uh, you know, has made his coaching career on being um, a good defensive coach. And so I think Joe Peterson's kicking um, and uh, the defense that um, Rob Hoadley has allows them to play in the, w- without the ball very effectively. And I think, you know, I've, I've liked San Diego. You know, I did a couple of their early games. I've always liked them. I think that, you know, as long as they stay healthy, uh, I think that they're going um, to gonna be a tough team to beat as they, um, as they get into the second half of the season. Yeah, they will be. Win up there, they... Uh sit just outside the top four, I believe now, but very, very close. And uh, not our last game of the week in terms of our timeline, but the last one we're going to talk about, 95 points in uh, Harriman in Utah as the Toronto Arrows. Well, their their road journey comes to an end in style, doesn't it, Pete, as they travel to Utah and absolutely spank the Warriors. It's not too often you open up a match report and see a team with 31 points and they lose. Not only did they lose, but the other team scored over double the points that they did. So 95 points total, just incredible. And this was a game uh, I was flying during. So it's one of those shocking ones where you, you, the plane lands and you pick up your phone and open it up and you're like, what? 64-31. So you go back and watch it. And the Arrows, uh, credit to them. They look great. Really, really good. And that's another team with this eight-game stretch coming home, Pete. That's a big warning for these other other five teams. They're going to be real dangerous. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm still learning about the arrows and the players on that team, I'll be honest. But um, I, I think uh, they've got eight games at home. You know, they're, they're doing a smart job of integrating their Canadian players that come back. I think Malcolm's a really quality fly half. I think, um, you know, they've got a great, you know, a great tight five that I think can live with anyone. Um, you know, I, I feel like the the level of Major League Rugby shocked them the first couple of weeks. I mean, if you remember, their first game was down in New Orleans and it was a really, really close game. But the first half, um, you know, Nola really blew them out. I think this, it's been a bit of a shock, but... You know this battle for the top four is going to be is going to be really tough, and and it's interesting because, you know, Utah. You know they they did some things well. They had a decent set piece. You know if if you look and and you look at the stats, they actually had an edge in possession. Um, they had an edge in territory, and um and yet and and they had an edge in ball in hand, and yet it's thirty one sixty four, and I think that comes down to the fact the um. Uh, the dynamic nature of Toronto made it, you know, very difficult for Utah to defend. I honestly, I, I felt early on that Utah was going to be one of the better defensive teams, but it's been a real struggle for them the last couple of weeks. Yeah, looking at the stats, you know, you can see where the traffic went. Gannon Moore with six missed tackles, which is an alarmingly high number for one of your centers to have in a game. But that's why they're sixty-four points. Here's what impressed me most, Pete, about the performance: nine tries scored by Toronto, no one scored two. So you had Brower scoring in the front row, Shepard a lock, Rumble in the back row along with Francis. Then in the backs you had Moore and Oiderman. You expect that from your wingers. Mirez at fullback gets one. And then your bench contributed as well with Wainwright coming off the bench and Kano Lloyd in, uh, you know, he's welcome back from Canada duties, getting a try as well. As a coach, you know, I'm like, I like that. You know, the distribution of the ball, we're going – we're attacking different parts of the field. We're finding success in all the aspects of the game. And again, I think that's a worrying sign that they are starting to find their rhythm, in particular with this eight-game stretch coming at home for them. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. Um, I, I'm excited to watch them play. They've got a, you know, um, a big game coming up this weekend with their home opener. Yep, and one of the players that will be front and centre was our Player of the Week, Mike Shepard, scored a try. Uh, came away with 21 tackles uh, as well. So busy, busy work there for the lock. And Pete, you had a chance to catch up with uh, the Toronto Arrows superstar earlier. Well, Mike, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Now, I, I, um, I'm at an airport and you're on the road, so I'm glad we were able to find times when we could cross. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, for... For, for those of us that are um, in the U.S. and maybe don't follow Canadian rugby as, uh, um, uh, as closely as, as we are now following it with the Toronto Arrows, tell us a little bit about kind of your background in rugby, where you started playing, and uh, a bit of your journey to the Toronto Arrows. Well, my story is probably the same as most people's. I started playing when I entered high school, so I was 13 years old. I wanted to play football because that's usually the age grade when you start doing contact sports but my school didn't have it so one of the new teachers there turned me into rugby because I was a bigger bigger boy so it seemed like a good alternative to get out there so just uh, and I, I just Mike I just yeah. I just want to point out for um for our Canadian viewers that um that would never ever happen in America there is not a high school <laughs> that has a rugby program that doesn't have a football program so this is also already something that is new to all of our um American listeners so so go ahead Wonderful. 
But uh, yeah, but I just started to grow to love the game. Uh, my high school coach thought I was quite well, so he brought me out to his local club in Brampton, where I grew up. And from there, the provincial coaches scouted me as well to go out for provincials. So I did that from U16 through U18. And that developed more into university at McMaster. And from then on, the senior men's program with the Ontario Blues. And now I'm with the Arrows and playing with uh, the Canadian side as well, the national men's team. So it's been, it's been a long journey, but a pretty enjoyable one at that. So, so, so it's interesting because this, again, is something that's, um, I think, very different than, than the way things work in the States, but probably more true in traditional rugby countries. You know, you, you basically worked your way up through the age grade process in Ontario and you played with the Ontario Blues, which was um, the top provincial side, but was not yet professional. Um, and then as it joined Major League Rugby and became the Toronto Arrows, it, it's, it's now become professional. So do you think that that um, age grade process is going to be the future of the Toronto Arrows? Do you, are, you, are there already younger I, players coming through that are, that, that are coming into the Arrows squad? Absolutely. I believe like that's where we've gotten the main core of our squad is from years and years of developing junior grade men's great Ontario programs. We have a lot of young guys now as well. One in particular, like Avery Oitolman. He's a he's a very young kid who's come up through the Ontario high school and provincial programs as well, and he's excelling right now with us, and we can't wait to get more players like him for the future to help really bring some depth to the Toronto Arrows. So, so tell me a little bit about the transition from the Ontario Blues, the, the provincial squad, um, and that transition into the Pro team, major, you know, the Toronto Arrows. Um, it, it, it basically that's kind of what the transition was. What's been different for you as a player? As a player, really, the only difference that we found is, is there's just a lot more urgency and a lot more time dedicated training with the Blues. But there were no weightlifting sessions. We didn't do many film review sessions of opposition that we were going to play in a week-in, week-out basis. So really, we've just we've ramped up our development and our training schedules, which is necessary to compete in this league. So you really get a real sense of professionalism that comes with the arrows that we didn't quite get with the Blues. And, um, you know, what's the percentage of players that um, are playing for you now that, that played played for the, for the Blues? Is it a majority? Is it like three quarters? Uh, roughly, top of my head... I'd, I'd say it's probably around 60 to 70 percent somewhere around there. Yeah, for the most part, so, I can, yeah. So so most of those players went went on the journey. So for you individually, um, as someone who I think is either driving to or from a meeting or from work, right, um, <laughs> how, how have you been able to fit this added commitment into your life? Uh, it's been challenging sometimes, but I've gotten a good balance of it now that we're back at home. The uh, My work's been very flexible with giving me some time off for all the weekend trips away. But for me personally, I go to work early in the morning, uh, usually around 6.30 a.m. I finish up around 1.30 and then I go right to training. We do the weights and skills for a couple hours, and then we do our team session at night. So it's made for some long days, but they're thoroughly enjoyable. I really really have enjoyed this experience so far it's just it's just finding a way to handle it and i think i found a good balance between work and personal life and rugby so i'm i'm in a good place right now with it 
Well, you know, you got through the first half of the season with eight straight away games. Um, you're four and four um, it, as, a, as a squad. Are you guys, you know, and you're in touch of the playoff spots. You, are you pretty happy with kind of where you are? I know you had a lot of players out for the ARC, including you. Um, so, uh, you know, how, how do you feel? Do you, do you guys feel confident you can make a push for that playoff spot now? Now you've got all of the home games coming up for you. Oh, absolutely. When we when we first set out on our wage trip, our goal we set for ourselves was to come back no less than 500, and we accomplished that. We're four and four. Three of our games we lost by six points or less, which one bounce goes a different way for us, and we easily come back seven and one. So I think everyone's very happy, especially like you said, with players being away with the ARCs, both Canadian and our Uruguayan imports, that we've come away we've come away right where we want to be. And now that everyone's back together in a full training environment, week in, week out, we are very comfortable with our eight-game home stretch coming down now. We're in a good spot. We feel that we can make the playoffs, finish in a higher seed to host a playoff semifinal or even the finals as well. And and it and it, it feels like that you know there was a bit of a um, you know you guys weren't performing your best early on in the season, and as the season has progressed, you have improved. And you need to continue to do that for, because you have an historic game coming up um, this weekend. Um, it's your first home game and you get to play the top of the table, Nola Gold. So um, what's that, you know, what, what are you really looking forward to in playing at home? And what do you think you need to do against Nola Gold to be able to walk away with a win? We're just looking to give the crowd a really good show. It's been a very, very long time coming for... Toronto fans and Canadian fans to have some good domestic professional rugby that they can take their kids out to come see on a weekend and have a few drinks and eat some food and just enjoy some high quality rugby. And I know especially for a lot of the players, NOLA was our first game on our away trip this season and it was a, we made a very close game but we didn't play the very best first half. They really dominated us but in the second half we sort of found our form so we are looking forward to having NOLA come here and to us play 80 full minutes of that second half rugby that we played early in the season. That's great. It's certainly, I think, um, one of the picks of the weekend, and it's a very, very exciting game. I'm looking forward to watching you guys play. So let's talk a little bit about you and, and your international career. So you were capped relatively late, um, and but you're now a part of the Canadian squad. So obviously the World Cup is coming up for you. Um, you know, talk us a little bit about your journey to Canada and then um, what you hope is going to happen over the next few months. Uh, yeah, like you said, I was capped relatively late in my career. I was 29 years old before I got my full first cap. Uh, I was just living out here in Ontario and playing with the Blues in university. I never made the move out to BC where they centralized the program. Uh, but then last year when we started with the Ontario Arrows to make a bid to become the Toronto Arrows and join the MLR, uh, that sort of exposure brought Kingsley Jones, our now Canada coach, to come see some of our players and Thankfully, I was playing quite well at the time, so he decided to try me out with the squad. So we came, I went down to the ARCs and, and uh, down in Uruguay. And I was a good extra body to have for him during the repressage as well. So he brought me on those tours. And thankfully, I've just been playing very well lately. And I hope to continue playing well because you know, the World Cup is every rugby player's dream. And I know I've been thinking about that since I was a young boy. So right now, it's... Uh, 
it's a possibility. So I'm just going to keep driving further and further, and hopefully be in Japan in a few months. And and the timing of, the, of your first season in pro rugby couldn't really come any better because there isn't <laughs> no, be a, better, uh, a better preparation to help you on that journey. And uh, um, we're certainly excited. I mean, you know, I've been excited to learn more about you, Mike, and and, and what you play. And, uh, Certainly an impressive player and an asset to the Canadian team. So, you know, we'll finish up. Um, uh, you know, you have your drive to finish. So I just want to talk a little bit about sort of the, um, your teammates and the culture of the team So, and, and ask you a little bit about your experience. So, so far, what's, gonna, what's been your most memorable moment for the first half of the season? What's something you'll tell your grandkids about 40 years from now that you think you'll, you'll, you'll remember? Uh... There's been a lot of really good memories, to be perfectly honest with you. Like, again, I can just think back to our first week down in New Orleans. Like, everyone's excited to be finally a part of a professional team, and we had a great game of rugby with a lot of good friends on both sides of the field. And we all went out and explored Bourbon Street after, which is just a complete, a complete must-see in anybody's traveling around that area. It's just incredible. <laughs> yeah, to your see. first trip was down to New Orleans. It's not tough. There's some <laughs> good team bonding that can happen that night. Oh, it's it's unbelievable. And then you go places like San Diego and it's just beautiful down there and you really feel like when you go to these places you're in a professional environment just last week in Salt Lake City playing the, the Warriors they have a beautiful facility with the mountains in the background it's just it's absolutely gorgeous and you just get the feeling that you really you've really made it as a rugby player and for being Canadian where it's not really a very popular sport it's just an unbelievable feeling and then tell us a little bit about your teammates who's the uh, um, who's who's your most annoying teammate a most annoying teammate. Yep. <laughs> uh, I'd have to probably say Morgan Mitchell. Or, uh, <laughs> that was, that was, very, that was a very Zealand. easy choice. Of all the people I've asked, you came up with it very quickly. <laughs> so what makes Morgan annoying? Oh, uh, he's just—he's just really, really funny. But him and I just—he's got his—he's uh, had his long trip himself with his long rugby career, and he has his hearing implant now that uh, most people have heard about. He's made a long journey to make himself a very, very successful rugby player, but. Him and I, him speaking with his accent and uh, his hearing aid, him and I have a bit of a hard time communicating sometimes, so it makes for some interesting encounters. <laughs> and um, and who's the guy that um, keeps everyone loose and jokes around on the team? Who's the funny guy? Who's the funny guy? Oh, it's probably Rob Brower. Yeah, he's our, uh, our, big, our big old loose head prop. Pretty much the team dad. He's always quick with a with a chirp and a joke as well. It might not always be that funny, but he's always quick to say something. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mike, you're certainly very open with your um, with your teammates and their foibles. I, I um, you know, it's been great to uh, to chat to you. We look forward to um, following both the journey of the Toronto Arrows with their historic home game against Nola this weekend, and then your personal journey, hopefully, to Japan. So, all the best. Oh, thank you so much, Pete. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. There you go, Mike Shepard. Lock for the Toronto Arrows. And Pete, just a classy bunch of guys they've got up there, haven't they? Yeah, I think they do. I mean, I really enjoyed talking to Mike today. And it was really interesting, you know, hearing his story, um, you know, coming in um, to the Canadian national team set up and getting capped so late and now going to the World Cup and the impact that, you know, his opportunity at Major League Rugby is uh, is, is going to have. Um, you know, I think I think they're a great addition. You know, there's up in Canada, they're all talking about the need for a team in Vancouver. And as you heard Mike say, that's where they centralized um, a lot of uh, um, a lot of the Canadian internationals. And in fact, I think 
uh, um, Seattle just uh, picked up a Canadian prop um, who was part of that central program. So, you know, he, he, he decided not to go out west, um, but that's where a lot of those good Canadians are, and Vancouver could definitely handle um, a major league rugby team, and it wouldn't dilute the uh, – um, uh, it wouldn't dilute the uh, uh, the playing pool that much because there were so many good players there. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens to the Canadian players spread out throughout the league, though. You know, Nola have a few down there as well. And if that Vancouver team comes in, do they all come back? And do you have like an East and West, basically Canada A and Canada B or Canada West and Canada East playing in MLR? So, Well, I, I, I talked to... Um, uh, Mo Abdelmonim uh, um, at Austin, and I, I was asked him. I said, "So if there's a, you know, do you want to go back to Toronto?" And he said, "He goes, you know, he wants to go where he gets the best opportunity. I don't think that, you know, just like an American would, you know, would go to Canada if that's where they had the best chance to play. I don't, I don't know that these Canadians are all going to go flocking back um, to some of these places just because it's a Canadian team. I think they're going to go where their career dictates." Yeah, yeah, you might be right. And uh, we saw with Toronto coming in, not everyone went to Toronto. So there's definitely, um, you know, there's definitely some validation to that as well. Hey, Pete, let's pull back the curtain here a little bit. I know we talked about it last week, but team of the season thus far, you want to do that right now? Or you want to you try to build that up for another week? Oh, really? You're going to put it on me? Like the whole time I've been like, oh, let's leave it a week. And you've been saying, no, no, I'm ready. I love my team. My team is so good. I've worked so hard on my team. So I'm like, I'm so right. excited! I'm so excited. Let's uh, let's let, let let's do team of the week, team of the, team of the season thus far. Mid team of the season. season, team of team mid of the season. mid-season. Sorry, team All of right. the mid-season. I'll throw another spanner in. You got to pick a coach as well, so that'll give us sixteen selections. So then we can go. Oh, hold on, you can't. Like, well, easy. I'll coach. There you go. That's fine. You can do that. <laughs> but uh, so you're going to start off with coach. Let's start off with Pete's, Pete's like, you know what? I, I, I'm just going to pick myself. That's right. Yeah. Why not? He's picked his team. He should lead them. He should be their uh, courageous leader. And, you know, why not? why not? Let's start in the front row, Pete. Let's start in the front row with uh, who's your loose head? You go first. So, who's your loose so head? Hold on. So this is like I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to caveat this because I was sort of you know, um, I thought about this as a coach. I did not go through this and say who have played the best in their position. I said, let me put a team together that I think can win. And so yep. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you the whole front row because the whole okay. front row works together as a unit. So what I have is I have Tim Metro at tight head. I have Dylan Fawcett at hooker and I have Paddy Ryan of San Diego at loose head. Because I think that's probably the best front row that Major League Rugby can put out. Has anyone ever told you that not only are you uh, dashingly handsome, Pete Steinberg, you're also a genius? Because guess what my front row is? What's Tim your Metro, front row? Dylan Fawcett, Paddy Ryan. <laughs> no way. <laughs> I, was a, I, was a little, I was a little nervous because I'm playing Metro out of position. But with the height difference between Paddy and Tim. I, oh, I'm hold on. Hold on. So you're playing Metro at Loosehead? I'm putting him at one and putting Patty at three. See, I, so, you know, um, and again, this is one of these things that always makes me uncomfortable as a coach because I haven't, I don't know these guys. 
one of the San Diego games. So that's why I said, oh, he can play both sides. And, and you know, it's hard to play both sides. And, you know, props say they play both sides, but really, it's really difficult to do that. But he's so dynamic around the field that you can't not have him on, on, the, on the field. And I still think that, you know, Tim Metra is such a strong, scrummaging, tight head. And that's why I left him there. But that is, that, that's interesting. All right, why don't you give us our set, your second row pairing? My second row pairing is the boogeyman, Brad Tucker from Seattle. Uh, again, just a great signing. Gives them a real hard edge. Uh, I saw on the weekend he runs down Ryan Mattias for a try saver and, you know, all, uh, all in vain with the final score, but just the effort that he puts in, the carries, the defense, offloads. He's a, he's a really complete block. And this might raise a few eyebrows on this other one because I think this is in his natural position. But he's been so good for Glendale there. I went with Luke White. And uh, I, I think if I'm coaching Glendale, I figure out a way to put Luke White at six and let him do what he does best, and that's carry the ball. Um, I, so this is, where, this is where you start thinking about how your team plays together, right? So yes, the challenge yes. you have with Luke White at the second row is it loses you a line-out jumper. It does, right? and, 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 and and that's and that's and that's one of the challenges. So, so what I have is I have the guy that we talked to earlier today, Mike Shepard. Mm-hmm. He's a little, you know, he's, he's a little undersized, but I think that he's uh, he's strong and and a guy that is just, you know, if you look at the stats, is like one of these guys that's off the charts is Ben Mitchell. Ben Mitchell of Austin. I don't think you cannot select him. Yeah, he. I actually had him in there, and then I started going through it again. And I talked myself out of Ben Mitchell. Just because I like that hard edge that Luke brings to the forward pack. I have two really scary locks there in Tucker and White. But I agree with Ben Mitchell. And there's your uh, there's your line-out target, right? What a great line-out threat Ben Mitchell is. All right, so let me uh, um, let me give you the, the, my back row. So my back row is um, Lance Williams. So physical, ball-carrying six. I have John Quill, who's sort of like your fetcher in the, in, in the tight. Um, at seven, and I have Cam Dolan, who's your wide open um, ball running eight. So, and also a great line out jumper. So, so for me, I, what I like about that back row is we've got the balance, right? So we've got a physical defender and hard runner at six. We've got the guy that can do the dirty work in the breakdown at seven, and we've got the guy that can play out wide at eight. Okay, so just a caveat, I kind of went on minutes played here and looked at that thing, and Cam hasn't played a lot either, as Quilly being away with ARC. Oh, oh hold on. I, if, I I almost... have to pick a, if I have to pick a team to win a game, then I'm picking a little different. But I'm going on the form so far this season. So just don't... I mean, I would have Lambourne. I thought about putting a Lambourne at seven because he was the best back row player that I think has played in Major League Rugby. But I think he played two games. So I went at six... Uh, just on the back of his uh, busy ball carrying. So I figured if I've got Hunko at six, I go. I need a fetcher at seven. I went with the best fetcher in the league in Mo Abdelmonim from Austin. Uh, no one steals more balls than Mo, and uh, Mo knows when it comes to breakdowns. So I went with Mo. <laughs> uh, my eight, again, I looked at minutes played. I really like the looks of Manahara, and I think he's going to do well. Camp Dolan. Huge fan of Cam Dolan. Love Cam Dolan to death. But I went with uh, Ricard Hutting just to give me another good ball runner there. So you can see I'm, I'm picking a side that we're really going to carry the ball a lot and get some uh, – I want game line ball. I need go forward ball to let this deadly back line I picked together. So, yep, I've got Hunko, Mo, and Ricard as my back rows. 
Well, I mean, it's a good back row. And, you know, I thought about Ricard. Um, I thought about, I mean, I thought about all of those guys, right? Because you've, there's a bunch of guys that, that have played really well. And I think, you know, it would be, I, I think we can put out two different 15s that have really, really quality players. But this is going to, I'm pretty certain we don't have the same 9 and 10. Uh, maybe I'll the same money. 10. But here we go. I'll go 9 no, and 10. I'll we, do we, we do not. Okay. All right. I, so so let, let me go my 9. No, you no, say? you did your, you went first on the back row. I go okay, first. sorry, you go. Jeez. Right, you go. Team, teamwork. Hey, uh, my scrum half, selfish pick here, because he's one of my all-time favorite teammates. I went with Mike Petrie. Of course you did. Of course you went with Mike. I, I almost went with Mike Petrie, but I and can't be playing. sentimental. I Great can't be sentimental rugby. in this selection. Oh, he's playing such good rugby, Mike Petrie, and he is such a champion bloke. I always felt when I had Mike in the team, you know, he's the kind of guy when you see him inside you and he's giving you the ball and you just believe you're a chance to win because he's a winner and he's a competitor and just love the guy to death. My 10, Joe Peterson, all day. Best best 10 in the league right now, form and the way he's carrying that team, the way he's playing. So who have no, you got at I, I, I like those picks and I think I probably had that combination down in one of my versions of the mid-season 15. But I thought about it and I said, well, how do I want to play? And I said, you know what? I want to play a wide open game, right? I've got some, um, you know, a back row that can play it. I've got some, I've got real athletes in my type five. And, you know, when you're pr- pulling a team together to win a game, communication is really important. So I have um, Santiago Arada at 10. At and nine I have or Rod- 10? At, 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 sorry, at nine. And I have um, Rodrigo Silva at 10. Argentinian I, and a Uruguayan, they're never going to get along, Pete. Oh, no, dude, that's just not true. They can they can communicate in Spanish. They're going to be they're going to be great. And I just love the way Silva plays. I mean, he plays a wide open game. He plays flat to the line. Um, he's an attacking player, and um, those two together, I think, can play the sort of game that I'm thinking that this team can play. Yeah, I told Sil- you that we weren't going to have the same combinations. Now, yeah, I know. If Sil- you said Silva's to me, a revelation. He- I've seen him play a lot of 15 for Uruguay, but man, I've been so impressed with the way he's going about his business down there. I think I think that if Silver had started for um, Austin earlier on in the season, I think their season would have been different. Oh, um, 100%. and I think and, and I think and I think he's doing it. So so along with that, with this wide open game, right? And and I'm, I'm I I agree with you. I think Joe Peterson's the best 10. That's not what I've selected for, right? Um, but to play that wide open game in the centers, I have um, a guy that I just think is class and makes people around him better, which is um, Shalom Suniola and Dylan Audsley. And that's, that is with this view of playing this attacking game. Oh, interesting. So I do like, I do like Shalom as a human being, as a player as well, but I went a little bit different. Um, I've gone for JP Duplessis from San Diego as my 12. Uh, I got a lot of time for JP Duplessis. Very skillful, but gets through a ton of work every week. He looks through his statistics, a ton of work. And he's a rock in that midfield defensively, which is what you want. And uh, especially with Peterson and my territorial game that I'm going to play here with my forwards and Peterson's kicking, you're never going to get out of your 22, Pete. And then uh, at 13, I wanted to... <laughs> I, wanted to, I really went back and forth. 13 was actually my last position I filled because I was tossing around some players because really... 13, I've looked through the rosters through the first uh, 10 weeks and it's the most inconsistent position in the league in terms of the turnover from players week to week at 13. 
throughout the team. So it's kind of hard to go with. And this guy has played a little bit of 12 as well, but I went with Spencer Jones from Toronto uh, because he's got the ability to finish. And I think with the offloading ability of uh, Brad Tucker and Ricard and, uh, and JP Duplessis as well, I think Spencer Jones could be quite a dangerous uh, player to have at 13. Also very good defensive 13 as well. Well, you know, I think we're going to end up with a back three that's going to be similar to what we had when we started with the front row because I think we're probably going to have the same players, but I think it's your turn to go first. Okay. Back three on one wing. I have the golden-haired flyer Tristan Blewett, Nola Gold's favourite son. Uh, you know what? I mean, hap- that's, a, that's a great call, but if you were thinking about a 13, you should have played him at 13. I had him there, and I flipped him back and forward. I'm like, I think he's played his best rugby on the wing since he's been in the league. I do. And he does very well at 13. But I just think that little bit of extra space and freedom for him to go and do what he wants to do it on the wing, as opposed to being kind of restricted in that channel at 13, suits him. So I've got him on the wing. And my other wing is, uh, well, the great leader himself, the Oiderman Empire, Avery Oiderman, because he's a superstar. He's going to be uh, the next big thing, uh, according to me. And he's a finisher. He can make something happen out of nothing. So every team needs a guy who can do that. Fullback, I don't think we're going to differ on this one. JP Eloff, he's been – and this was a tough one because there's some good fullbacks. You've got DTS, Ben Foden. Um, I'm forgetting someone. Who am I forgetting? There's another fullback really like Matt Turner. But, Matt Turner. Uh, J, JP Eloff, yeah. JP Eloff for me has been unbelievably consistent with his metres gained. Uh, really good with his kicking. He's passing. He's injecting himself in the line. And I really hope he gets a call-up for the PNC just to give him a shot to play himself to Japan. I mean, I think he's earned it at this point, and I really like what he's doing down there. Who are your back three, my man? So, well, so much for us being aligned because we have none of the same back three, right? So, <laughs> so um, I, on one wing, I have um, Mikey Teo. Mm, I don't think there's anyone, like, just like you said, you need someone that can create something out of nothing. And... Um, that's what Mikey can do, and and if you've and, you know, but he can also play a bit of fullback, and he's he's a good kicker. So on the other the other side, you need the finisher, and my my finisher is John Ryberg. I think that guy has take, taken a big step up, and at fifteen, partly because we've got silver and we need someone with a little bit more experience. I put Foden. I thought about JP Eloff. Honestly, my concern about Eloff is his defence. Mm-hmm. I think that that's probably the thing that. Um, I would be most concerned about, but I, I, I was looking at Foden and Elof. I think both of those guys are great. I mean, you know, and it, and it's just when you sit down and you go through a team um, and you try and pick a team, you begin to realize there's so much quality in major league rugby and there's definitely some, some challenges and every team, you know, most teams um, have, you know, if, <clears throat> you know, have problems with depth but actually, if you look at the, the players, there's, you know, at every position, there's three, maybe four, maybe even five quality players that you're like, man, you know, international quality players that can 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 do the business. It's it, it was it was an interesting process to go through, but um, you know, we'll we'll we will get this out on social media with the uh, um, and, and and we'll let the the listeners come back to us with what they think their top fifteen is. Yeah, and that's the beauty of this kind of thing, Pete, is it's, it's nothing concrete, is it? It's all opinion-based, and you're a fan of one team, so you have a, a liking for one player or another. And like you said, I could, I could honestly could have picked most of these positions. I sat there and, yeah, that one, that one. And I started to dig deeper into the stats that we have and see the numbers. And 
But uh, do you want to hear who my coach was? And I'm so sorry I didn't know you were available. If I would have known you were available, I would have picked you. I no, 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 dude, I get it. This is like, you know, I, no loyalty had... works for works for Peaches. That's Mike Petrie's nickname, but obviously not for this Pete. Go for it. Well, it's, Who's your loyal- coach? it's loyalty again. I went with my old my oh, old Mike mate, Tolkien. Mike Tolkien, yeah. Just because I love Mike Tolkien. And, uh, you know, I just sometimes think she gets a bad rap for the 2015 World Cup performance. I don't know if there were uh, too many coaches out there who could have come in and done much different, to be honest with you, with uh, what he had in front of him, the hurdles he had in front of him. And I think that kind of, Got a bad rap on him, so and I do, I do, I'm biased towards him. You know what it's like, Pete. You can't help it. And you're Absolutely. your coach, well, obviously. Yeah. Oh well, I mean, I I find I find it very difficult to select a, a a coach. I mean, you know, you're basically looking at the teams that are playing the best, and I think you know Mike would be good. Um, I really appreciate, um, uh, you know, the philosophy of people like Rob Holy. Um, in San Diego, like I, I'm, I'm fortunate enough that I get to talk to all the coaches, and it's, it's, I respect all of them. I think they're all um, doing really a remarkable job in, in as a coach in, in what's what's quite difficult circumstances, in the sense that you know these are still startups that they're, they're still growing. I, I think it would be hard for me to, um, to, to pick one out. Although I think for this team, so maybe I'll do it this. So, so for this team, if I wanted, um, uh you know, someone to head this up. Um, I think probably I would go with Nate Osborne because looking at the team, I think the way that he attacks would really match what the squad that I've selected. Um, There are uh, playmakers all the way through the pack. Um, It's a very dynamic back line. Lots of people that that can make decisions with the ball in their hand. And um, I think the style that Nola are playing is probably the style that would fit best with the team that I've selected. So Nate Osborne. Nate Osborne's your man. I think so. All right. Let's just run it in the simulator. And, uh, oh, my team won. It was uh, 54-3. We let you get a late penalty so the fans didn't give up on you. No, it would be fun. We'll get those up on uh, social media in the next couple of days so you guys can go over and give us your feedback and anyone you would have in there or, uh, you know, it's all subjective and we, we'd love to hear from you. But Pete, let's jump into this weekend's game because we've got another four games coming up this weekend. And it starts on Friday night as we go down to Utah as they take on the Seattle Seawolves. Both sides coming off a loss. So very important in particular for the Seawolves to stay in touch with the top four there. Uh, game will be on KMYU in Utah. Root Sports in the Pacific Northwest and ESPN Plus for the rest of us. You want to go first on this one with uh, with your tip? Sure. I mean, I think, you know, I have a lot of respect for Alf Daniels. Um, I think Utah had um, a lot of uncertainty and a lack, lack of a foundation in the offseason. There were lots of rumors about the future of the club. I think that's affected them. Um, I think they're still trying to work out what they have. You know, it, it's it, it was a hard loss last week. I, I can't see Seattle um, not pulling this one out. And um, I think they're going to pull it out relatively easily. I think this is going to be something like Seattle 32, um, Utah 12. 32-12. 
Yeah, that's hard to uh, hard to argue against. I think Seattle bounced back. I think the strength of Seattle kind of playing to the weaknesses of Utah as well. Um, until I can see a little bit more from Utah. Maybe as they settle, as you talked about getting Reeves back, and but first week back, maybe not uh, as settled as, as he would like to be at 10 there. So we will have to wait and see. But I'll go Seattle as well, and I think they'll get it done. I think they'll find some of their rhythm too. Um, hopefully, Roland Sunilabak, he picked up a little hamstring tra- strain at training last week which ruled him out of the weekend's game. So I think if you can get him and Shalom in the centre pairing together, that adds quite a nice little one-two combo. So I'll go Seattle as well. You're going 32-12. I think it'll be a little bit tighter. I'll go uh, 27-15. Just a little bit tighter. Just a little bit, So the next game is on Saturday, um, 9 p.m. Eastern. It's the Houston Sabercats at Glendale. And it's on 9news.com. Uh, for most of us, and on Cube, um, I think down in Houston. So uh, your turn to go first on this one. I'm not sure this one's that hard a pick. No, he, here you go, Zach Fanolio. You can leave me alone for seven days. I'm picking Glendale. <laughs> and you're going to give no, us a score? No, I'm not even going to give you. No, I'll give you a score. Uh, this, you know, this is actually a danger game for Glendale because. Houston, you know, they had that emotional win over Utah. Still, you know, I don't see them being a threat to the top four sides. But coming off that emotional win that Glendale had, I just wonder what the drain is this week for the Raptors. So they're going to have to focus. If they do focus, it's not going to be close. But if they give Houston a sniff and let them play some rugby and get this thing into another arm wrestle again, it's tough to do that two weeks in a row to get into a really tight emotional battle and pull it out. So I think Glendale will be up for it. I think they'll get the win at home there. Uh, I think they should hit their stride too. I think they'll get into the 30s. I'll go, uh, what did you say last time? 37-12? I'll go 38-12. 32, yeah, yeah. 38-12. Last time in the last game or last time last week? I can't remember what I did last week. Yeah, I can't remember (laughs) what I did this morning. But what are your thoughts on this one? Well, you know, so um, the big question here for me, is the Glendale scrum. And um, it's a great test because Houston scrum is phenomenal. They're such a strong scrummaging team, which has been one of the reasons why they've been so disappointing because you would think with that scrum, they would um, be able to leverage that dominance into more attacking play. So I think that for for Glendale, they're going to need to, uh, you know, they're not going to get parity, but they're going to have to be able to win their own ball, even if it's bad ball. And, and it, it'll be a big test. Even with that advantage, because Houston have had that advantage in most of their games, I can't see Houston winning this game. And part of it's because I think the Glendale Pack physically can handle the Houston forwards around the pitch. And if the Houston forwards can't get their go forward, then they can't release their outside backs. And um, that's, what, that's what they need to do, I think, in their structure. I think Glendale, um, you know, they played at home. So you don't have the extra travel day. I think the, um Dave Williams isn't going to allow them to be complacent after that big high. Um, pretty certain at the video session, he pointed out everything that they didn't do well, brought them a little bit back down. Um, and I think it's a chance for Glendale to show that they're consistent. Uh, you know, so to me, I think the um, I you know I think I think because of the scrum, I think Houston are going to keep it a little bit closer than the rest of the game might dictate. And I think that this will probably be something like, you know, um, Glendale 31, 
uh, Houston 17. 31-17. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. It'll be good to see the game line percentage stat for Houston because the one that win over Utah, they finally cracked it over that you know 50% mark and they did well. So other games are usually under 50, so they don't obviously get that front football. Okay, mate, uh, New Orleans at Toronto. Finally, finally Toronto get a home game. Their fans up there, they're not going to know what to do with themselves this weekend. Nola Gold, hold on to first place, but coming off a loss. How do you see this one playing out, mate? Well, this is, this is the game of the weekend. I mean, these are two teams. Um, Toronto at home, they're expecting a big crowd. Um, you know, they, they don't have to jump on a plane for the first time. Nola Gold, remember, they were away last weekend. Um, you lose a couple of days, right? So, you know, you end up, um, you know, flying back. So they fly back on Sunday. It's not a recovery day then. You know, they get together on Monday and before they know it, they have to fly off again. So um, it's, a, it's a short week for them. You know, I don't like picking against Nola, but I think what we've seen, we saw it with Rooney. I think home openers, I think they have big home field advantages. I think this will probably be the best Toronto team we've seen. And I think Toronto are going to win this game, but I think it's a wide open game. I think it's going to be similar to the Glendale game, which I think to be fair to you and me, Dan, we said was kind of a toss up and that's exactly what it was. So I think this is going to be something like um, Toronto 38, Nola 36. Yeah. How good is Toronto going to be Sunday afternoon, Pete? The Molsons will be out. Oh, they're going to be. The, the it black could be blues. snowing. We don't know what. Do we know what the weather's like? It could be snowing. I'll check it. I'll check it now as I'm going through this with you. But I'm going to go Toronto as well at home. I think that's going to be a tough road trip for sides and the emotion of that home opener. Man, that's it. to be to be in Toronto this Sunday would probably be one of the greatest moments of this season. Because I think that place is going to be absolutely going bananas. So if you're up there and you've got a chance on Sunday, it's 47 and cloudy. There's a chance of snow on Friday, but clear on Saturday. Sunday is 47. Oh, beautiful weather up in Toronto, 47. That's a nice 47 too. But I think uh, it's going to be – that's a tough road trip from New Orleans. Like I said, short week. Two travel days within seven days is going to be tough because they're long flights from – Denver first from altitude. You're kind of tired from that. Then you've got to go up to Toronto. So I'll go Toronto. I think it will be tight. Noel have so many points. They've got so many quality players too. Interesting when Cam Dolan gets back. I'm kind of uh, anxious to see him get back in that lineup too. He adds so much to that forward pack. But uh, I'll go another. I'll think it'll be a high score too, but I don't think it'll be as high as what you said. I'll go 32-28. Well, we both think it's going to be a, uh, a close game. And then the last game, which is the game of the week on the CBS Sports Network. It's at 7 p.m. Eastern on Sunday. And it's the Austin Elite at the San Diego Legion. What do you think, Dan? Well, the Legion have to win this, don't they? Because they're running out of home games on this on the back stretch here to the playoffs. So does Joe Peterson play? You know, I don't know. I sent him a message to see how he's doing. He said, hey, I'm doing great. Thanks. But that doesn't really tell us much, does it? So if Joe Peterson plays, it's a big difference. Ty Nosa came on. And you know, he, did, he did enough tight to, to get them to win, defended well and moved the ball around. And uh, he was involved with some stuff, but it's just not Joe Peterson. So Austin have been improving significantly, but they've got to get on the road here. So I'll go San Diego just on the back of the 
back of the home field. Oh, and then you've got uh, Kenny Nesagege. Do we do we know if he got cited for his red card? No. Yes. Maybe. I got. I got. Yeah. I'm sorry, I lost you there. What was What was your question? Did we do we know if Kenny Nesagege got cited for his red card? We don't know. Well, do I we? think if you have a red card, you don't need you don't get cited. Um, there's an automatic ban. So I think it's two weeks. Can they fight that? So, so they I mean, can. Uh, the, so they it? can. Re- yeah, they can reduce it, but they won't be able to overturn it. A red so card he'll, in the he'll, game. He'll, so he'll be gone. you have a judi- So you do have to go through. It's like weird. You have to do a citing, and then you have to do the judicial hearing. So you have to do two hearings. Which the judicial hearing is where you can uh, sort of appeal or start your. Yeah, appeal. I mean, I mean, he's 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 not going to play next week. The question is whether it's more than next week. Yeah, I, just, I spoke to quite a few people about that, and most were of the opinion it shouldn't have been a red card. So I just wonder if San Diego. It's, will find yeah, that. I, it, it's it. Um, it, it the uh, judicial officers are very reluctant to um, overturn what happens on the pitch. I think that they'll overturn it if it's a mistaken identity, but they gotcha. don't want to second guess the referee. Gotcha. And that makes sense. That's fair enough, I guess. So missing him, um, it's going to be oh, it's going to be a big ask, but they're so good in that back. Ryan Mattias is back. He'll be better for the hit out this weekend. I think they're too dangerous, San Diego. And uh, Ty knows to just catch passes and lets Mikey Teo and JP Duplessis kind of work their magic in that back line um, with Mattias. Yeah, I think they're going to be too good. I'll go San Diego at home. I think it'll be a little bit tight. I'll go 28-12. Well, you know, I think this is going to be an interesting game for the elite. I think that the scrum's going to be a bit of a challenge for them. They struggled against Rooney. Um, uh, Juan Echeverria um, played all 80 minutes at tight head. The guy's five foot nine. Um, and he, you know, he, he did okay, um, but it was just hard for him to hold, hold it up um, against James Rush, Rushford last week. So, you know, to me, I... I you know, I, I think Austin are getting better because their players are getting better. I the, the thing that isn't clear to me, having watched their lot the last few weeks, is what their approach to play is. I think that they're you know they're playing a very French style, which is like play what's in front of you. I just don't know that that's going to work against a structured defense like San Diego has. I think San Diego's line speed. I think it's going to be the first time that Rodrigo Silva has felt something like that. Um, it's going to be a challenge for them, um, but I think that they're going to be competitive. I think where you know, Austin are now is they're now competitive where they weren't competitive earlier on, but I don't think they're going to be compete enough to be able to overcome um, the San Diego Legion at home. It's a big game for San Diego, as you said, Dan, because they don't have many home games left and you've got to win it at home. So to me, I think that San Diego at home, I think this is going to be a little bit of uh, arm wrestle. I think that's what Austin want it to be. And so I don't think San Diego are going to be able to play that wide open game. I think Mo's going to do, you know, create some problems at the breakdown. Um, I think they're going to make lineouts messy. I think all of that stuff is going to be to um, Austin's advantage. So I think that San Diego win this um, 24-14. Uh, oh, that is a close game. Yeah. Yep, it will be a big test of the defense for San Diego. And uh, looking forward to this weekend, actually. And. Get to sit back. Are you doing a game this weekend? I am not doing a game this weekend. So I get to sit back and actually watch. 
I'm, I'm, I'm traveling with work. I'm going with work. You come into the podcast so. because I, I can watch them all. Where if I'm doing a game, I have to find time on Monday and Tuesday to watch the games that I wasn't able to watch because I was traveling. So we'll both be able to lean yeah, back be, and be, uh, um, enjoy it. Watch it with you, buddy. Yeah, it'll be good. Maybe we'll do a little uh, WhatsApp, WhatsApp chat. We'll get it going. WhatsApp the chat. Game. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I like it. Well, that wraps it up, folks, for another show. We'll be back next week and we'll dig into the games from this weekend. And in honor of Game of Thrones starting next weekend, we'll give you the Game of Thrones character that best suits your Major League Rugby team next week. There you go, Pete. Seven days to prepare. I'll see you next week, buddy. Thanks uh, a lot for joining us again. <laughs> hold, hold on. That requires me to start watching Game of Thrones, right? Or no, can I just Wikipedia it? Just you Wikipedia. That's it. Okay, I'll Wikipedia it. I've got no idea. I watched the first half of the very first episode of Games of Thrones and it wasn't for me. So um, I've missed out on a cultural phenomenon. I'll give you a spoiler. Don't tell any of the teams they're Ned Stark because it won't end well for them. Okay. <laughs> All right. That wraps it up, folks. Pete Steinberg, Aaron Castro. I'm Dan Powell. Thanks for joining us again. We'll be back next week. We'll see you then.